When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly, and joining me for this episode is Yisrael Arie Gutblatt. Did I say that right? Perfect. All right, perfect. Uh, this is a very special episode. We have a couple of firsts here because uh, Yisrael is our first musician guest. He is uh, a member. Are you the lead singer? Yes. Uh, the lead singer, and you are a songwriter for the band, the Brooklyn Jazz Warriors, and also our first rabbi. Uh, <laughs> so now we might have either one of those later on on the show at some point down the line. I don't think we're ever going to have both. So uh, this is going to be a very unique episode. So, Yisrael, thank you so much for contacting me about wanting to be on the show. And, and uh, what is your connection to, to Bob Dylan? Like, how did you discover Bob? Sure. Um... I guess it's pretty common for a lot of people to know about him and then not get into the music till later. So that was, that happened with me. Uh, I mean, I, my father sang a few of his songs when I was a kid. Uh, he, he used to, back in the 60s, he used to sing at parties and he got a good gig singing on a, uh, a ski trip on the bus. That's actually actually how he met my mom. Wow. Um, and he had, a, he had a pretty large repertoire. Um, and he included a few of the Bob Dylan folk classics. Um, his favorite, I think, was Times Are Changing, but he did Blown in the Wind, Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. And he basically stopped at anything um, too weird, uh, you know, after, <laughs> after the folk period. Uh, I actually asked him today, aren't you interested in anything else? It's some really good stuff. He's like, uh, no, I'm sure it's good. And not, not, you know, but uh <laughs> And then, and then another memory. So he he played when we were kids. You know, at a certain it was a very early memory because at a certain age he just stopped playing. I guess he felt like when we weren't kids anymore. You know, he he used the guitar to win my mother on the ski trip. You know, he used it to entertain us as kids, and then he didn't take out the guitar much after that. So I had this kind of vague memory of him playing those songs, but I definitely remember seeing the sheet music around, and and also I have a memory of my mother watching uh, the We Are the World video oh yeah <laughs> with him you know taking that song and, and i remember her looking you know she commented something like oh, i feel bad for him <laughs> <laughs> um so that those were my that was my impression about dylan i you know i might have had a mixtape at some point i think i remember you know it had some weird songs on it um grain of sand which i, I liked and oh, yeah. uh um what's that one from i ended up uh, figuring out it was some self-portrait but i didn't know then um, take me as I am or let me go. Oh, okay, yeah. So I, I didn't even know it was the same person. Re- I mean, really, it was like a mixtape, and I was I had no idea <laughs> they were both. I don't know. But, um, and then, you know, so that was basically just my awareness of, of him, and I, I guess I had some affection towards the music. But then when I was in college, uh, I was in upstate New York, and they had a screening at the Rhinebeck um, Theater, it's this old theater in uh, up in Rhinebeck, New York, of Don't Look Back in the black and white and a big screen. And that really hit me really hard. Uh, I had, those songs, 
the ones that are kind of there's excerpts of of some of the ones that just really um, uh, Gates of Eden uh, don't uh, it's all right mom only bleeding uh, uh, he plays this uh, I know you spoke about um, it's all over now baby blue oh, right. uh, you didn't you didn't mention that, that just what, what comes to mind when I when I think of that song is is when he plays it in the hotel room with Donovan in that mm-hmm. movie and <laughs> my impression sitting in that theater I mean it, it looked like uh, Donovan wanted to crawl into a hole <laughs> <laughs> um, it was such a powerful tune and, and I was just, I was just blown away by that and um, you know I'd always kind of written songs um, didn't really take it that seriously, but I, I kind of had a sense that there was much more to to listen and certainly and to learn from um, from it. I didn't, I, you know, I just picked up pieces and pieces of what he'd done, um, and then I think, um, you know, I had some vinyl of New Morning was an album I had, um, some just some random albums that just kind of like um, you know touched me. Basement tapes was something I, I got into early on. And then, um, and then I, I went away from music for a while. I didn't. I didn't even listen to um, any any uh, pop music for for years while I was studying to be a rabbi. Um, and then when I got back into it, it was like it was kind of the, I actually became um, a rabbi in Woodstock, New York. Hmm. And I opened up a, a Chabad house. Uh, um, it's Chabad house is uh, Chabad is a, is a Hasidic movement. And so I ran um, the Chabad house there for uh, almost five years, and I definitely got got some um, heavy. I mean, that town is kind of has a specter of Dylan hanging over it in a lot of ways. Uh, and I and I that was the kind of so this was around. Let's say I started getting uh, back into listening to music in around 2005, 2006. So it was uh, kind of the perfect time, I think, to to get into Dylan because first of all, the, I think the Scorsese documentary came out. I watched that kind of live on PBS that, that really, I was really moved by that. Um, I Chronicle, love that movie. Yeah, I think Chronicles was before that. I can't remember. I read Chron- Chronicles just, um, I just love Chronicles and, uh, and then modern times came out and I was just, uh, you know, that, that it became kind of my soundtrack and it became my number one favorite album. Um, and I really, and, and then I think Theme Time Radio Hour came out soon after that, and all all those things together, kind of, you know. Yeah, he had a, he was very busy in the early two thousand. Yeah, yeah, and I I, um, I felt you know my my connection to it really. I started writing a lot of songs at that time, and my my biggest connection to Bob Dylan's music, I think, is uh, inspiration for songwriting. And he also, at that time, I, I consider Chronicles to be the greatest songwriting handbook there is. Um, I, I, I really do. I, I mean, it's just, it, it really breaks down what it means to be a songwriter and, and to write songs. And um, I ended up, um, I also think Thing Time Radio Hour, I mean, all, all those, um, let alone the music itself, uh, I find a lot of inspiration in writing songs. And he had a couple of interviews around that time, one in Rolling Stone, and I think also one in Newsweek where he kind of gave a, a, a insight into his songwriting process, which I don't think he ever had before, which I really related to, which, which was this idea that he kind of gets into a headspace of a song, like somebody else's song. Like he used an example of uh, Chuck Berry, uh, Monkey Business, and he'll get into that headspace and then it, it, and it's kind of rattling around his head. 
just while he's going about his day, and then he and then it morphs into another song, and he writes that down. And he said that's how some train in Homestead Blues came about. If you if you recall, might have recalled the interview. I thought that was pretty pretty revealing, because um, what happens a lot is uh, is I'll listen. Modern Times is a great example of it, because um, um, it has such a great groove through the whole record, and to kind of get into a vibe and get into a headspace. And you go away from it, and it kind of rattles around in you, and then something else comes out, and it's it's inspired by that, but it becomes its own song. So I, right, I kind of relate right. to that that, pro, uh, that aspect of songwriting process. And I think that's kind of what he's talking about when uh, you know. I mean, have you seen? Have you read interviews that he chafes at the idea of people saying, you know, what's this song about, or who is this person in the song? And to him, it's like that's not. It, you know, what he wrote in Queen Jane approximately, it might have been inspired by somebody that he knew, but it, then it morphed into something else. So right. this, the song isn't about that person anymore. It may have been inspired by this person, but it's not about this person. And I, I, I think that's why he's always been a little like, I don't want to explain to you that it's about this woman that I met, because that's not who it's about anymore. Right. And it, it does become its own thing, as you said. Yeah, and also I think that, I mean, that's, in terms of the some of the images that come out in the songs, right, most of them are, are kind of belie any kind of um, cohesive or unified um, interpretation, especially, the, I mean, the song we were talking about discussing today, yeah. Spirit on the Water, I, th- I think it kind of is a little bit beyond a, a kind of over, an, over an overall interpretation. But at the same time, a lot of the images... I mean, they do. You, they can be traced to certain places. I, I guess it's more. I guess sometimes people are looking for his influences, which I, I'm. I'm somewhat interested in because it, it, it informs me about how he, his process. But I'm actually. It's even more fascinating to me what they evoke in me. You know what? When I hear an image, it, it elicits something in me, and I feel like it's a very subjective experience. I love that his style of writing. And I kind of, um, you know, it's a certain aspect of where you, you kind of, the listener is really allowed to, to formulate their own impressions of, of everything going on and not necessarily have to be fed, well, this is what it means, okay, we're done, you know, move on. It's, it, and then it can shift through time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As you get older, it can mean something different, you know. As Yeah, I mean, you mentioned uh, Spirit on the Water, and that is what we are going to be talking about. This is uh, the second song from his his 2006 album, Modern Times. Of the albums uh, that are in this sort of loose collection that we have now, in terms of the ones that he's been producing himself under his uh, alias Jack Frost, uh, Modern Times is my favorite of of this run of Love and Theft and... uh, Together Through Life, Modern Times, and, and Tempest. Modern Times is my favorite. I think it's the strongest collection of songs. Spirit on the Water is is very interesting in that it is uh, 23 verses, which is <laughs> extraordinary. And yet it does not have, um, I don't want to say it doesn't have a whole lot going on, because it does, but it, it, it's sort of deceptively simple. I mean, this is, um, as we know now, uh, from the two records he's put out covering Sinatra songs, uh, Bob has always wanted, has seen some part of himself as this sort of old-timey crooner. And uh, starting with Love and Theft, he started putting these songs on these albums, and he would drop them in here and there. And Spirit on the Water is one of those. It, it, it opens with a very beautiful little melody, very simple. And it's just a very sort of direct, uh, at least until the end, a very sort of direct uh, series of messages to someone um, 
trying to kind of romance someone else. Uh, why did you want to pick? Why did you want to talk about this one specifically? Well, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, it has it definitely has a, is in the crooner vein, and I mean, to me, that the album kind of stands as a whole. When I when I think about the lyrics of let's say this particular song, or even though this one stands out in a certain way from the other ones as that uh, kind of a more traditional crooner song. Um, but I, when, when I, when the, the lyrics kind of come to me, a lot of lyrics of other songs on the same album kind of intercross. Um, but this song in particular kind of contains all the elements. I think that the album is really good at representing, which the, the lyrics are, do seem very simple, but they're, but then at the same time, they're they're really anything but um i mean i think he's kind of it really hit me that he'd kind of perfected a certain um art of of boiling down very profound concepts into very simple language and it's it's something that i felt like it it took those many decades to get there and you know it's like coming from you know uh, motorcycle black madonna you know gray flannel dwarf to, to scream you know which kind of like hits you over the head with like crazy images like this has that craziness which i'm drawn to you know kind of a psychedelic uh you know mm-hmm. interest and this, this i feel like this has a psychedelic quality to it but at the same time it's grounded and rustic in a way that kind of almost combines a lot of his earlier styles like that crazy psychedelic that you know clearly the um, uh, I looked some of the more basement tapes kind of homespun, um, you know, down home kind of thing. There's a lot of humor in it. That's, that's kind of, um, I relate to basement tapes a lot. And so, it, um, but also that it really speaks ahead to these couple of these recent albums. I mean, I've been really, I've been living with fallen angels. I mean, that, that album has really hit me hard. Um, and, and actually I, I think, I feel like, um, this song kind of comes out, clearly comes out of that tradition. And on that theme of, of him morphing a, a tune into another tune, I mean, one, you know, the, the, um, one of the things that, that I, I had read somewhere that um, actually something by the, by the engineer of these sessions, I think his name is uh, Scott Shaw. If I'm not yeah, I think, that's, yeah, I think that's right. Right, so he, he mentioned that, that one of the things that the band that he did with the band is they would play like some other tune, like saying, I would, I'd like this to sound like this. Um, he didn't say what tune it was, but at one point he said that they, they he asked the band to play a Billie Holiday tune. And if, you know, you listen to some Billie Holiday, it's a very similar feel and groove. I feel like the, if there's any major influence for this song, it's, I mean, there's certainly that whole world of crooner uh, songs from that era, you know, the... Um, certainly the 40s and, and 50s, but I think Billie Holiday um, is probably, the, that's just my sense. I mean, I, I not necessarily trace it to one particular song, though, though um, probably could put some, you know, <laughs> figure it out with some listening, but but I, I feel like it's coming out of that, um, that influence very strongly, including the vocals. Um, so th- that was an interesting connection when I read that, that, oh, you know, um, I heard that in the song, but then at the same time, it, lyrically, um, I, you know, for, when he does, it had to be you on fallen angels. I, it hit me. I never really listened. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've heard Frank Sinatra's version. I heard Harry Connick Jr.'s version, which is very similar. And it, you know, it's, it has the big band and, you know, I, I love the song, but I never really listened to the lyrics until he's, 
sang them. There's something about the way he, the, the, his crooner records, for me, bring out the, the lyrics of those old songs in a way that other versions haven't. Um, and then I can probably go back to those older versions and, and hear them in a new way. But, but ha- it had to be you struck me as something much more complex than what I thought, first thought. You know, he's talking about someone that he, that he loves but who's very flawed. And this song, in Spirit of the Water, I mean, it's, I think it's more complex than Had <laughs> to Be You, but, hmm. but it, it, it's, it's, this love, it's this love song, certainly. Um, but it also is, there's something, there's something wrong here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, he sings, I've been trampling through mud, praying to the powers above, I'm sweating blood. You've got oh, a face that begs for love. That and... image, you know, that image to me, you know, that, that I mean, when I, I first heard that, it, it just, I mean, to me, more than like an interpretation, there's just a, a visceral sense of, of um, feeling like there's a certain power in, the, <laughs> in those images, just in a very personal way. It's just, you know, I mean, at the time I was listening to this record, I was uh, also going through the breakup of relationship, you know, and... Um, you know, the, 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 that feeling of, um, there's a kind of a, a whimsical, um, sense to, I mean, there's like kind of a lustful sense, mm-hmm. there's kind of a whimsical sense, but there's all, there's also this powerful sense of, of a, a very, I get a very positive vibe. Um, and, you know, and I, I feel like now, you know, um, being really, you know, really happily married, now the, the, I go back to these these songs and more like kind of the spirit of the of the songs and and the kind of the romanticism of of it and it it brings something out of me it inspires me you know it reminds me to you know to sing to my wife more often and, you know <laughs> that's um, pretty sweet but yeah because I I feel like that and that's the subjective quality of it I can I can see my you know I see myself in it um, and 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 you know everyone, I mean these are feelings that everyone's had I'm sure. On one way or another, a lot of the, um, you know, can't explain the sources of the, this hidden pain, you know, um, is, uh, you know, something, every, you know, I think everyone who's, who's been in love or, you know, had a tumultuous relationship, you know, you do good all day, then you do wrong all night, you know, <laughs> is, uh, it's just described, you know, in, in one level, it's just describing a, um, a relationship, you know, um, a passionate relationship, but then, there, but then there's this whole biblical dimension to it. I don't know if you, if you, um, I put much thought into that aspect, and I don't, I don't, you know, I think that's kind of a rabbit hole that <laughs> could go on a long time. But, but um, I mean, he, the fact that he starts the tune with it, um, I don't know if you've, if you've thought about that. About the, I, I have not. I mean, I, I'm not terribly familiar with with the Bible, and it's the kind of thing where. Uh, you know, I'll read in, in, interpretations of his songs, and then they'll say, "Oh, well, this line is from the Bible, or this one." Like, oh, okay, so I know that there's a lot buried here that I'm just, you know, I'm not getting because I just don't know the the origins of it. But I know that that Dylan himself is is was an avid uh, Bible reader, and and took a lot out of that. So I, it doesn't surprise me at all that this song, again, a song that's 23 verses long, it's bound to have lots of various influences going on. Right. Well, I mean, the fact that he opens the song with a with a biblical reference, I'm pretty much straight out of the King James Bible, you know, translation, um, and then and then links it right to just something a straightforward, you know, love, burning love kind of romantic 
you know, I've been thinking about you, baby, and I can't hardly sleep. I mean, it's just, but the, it, I love that, um, putting those two things together. Cause to me that, that, I mean, my, my connection to religion and my connection to my, my Jewish, uh, you know, faith is something that is very much bound up with my, um, creative self and my romantic self. Um, I, I think, I mean, the, the, you know, the Bible from the Jewish perspective, um, certainly has a lot to say about it. And, and the interesting thing is, I don't know, it's not as well known certainly as this Christian period, but right after the Christian period, he, um, he actually, um, spent a lot of time here in Crown Heights where I live, um, hanging out with, I was spending, he met the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe who's, uh, who was here in Crown Heights and, um, spent time with different rabbis, uh, some of which I've, you know, I've, I've talked to about, um, and I, I've met, there's, you know, a certain family you used to go to for, uh, Shabbat dinners, you know, Friday night dinners. And, um, it's, uh, I think there were photos of him at the Wailing Wall I think, yeah, from I think like was, 1983, like right around that time. I, it it might have been that, right. I'm not, right. The, he, cause he, there was, uh, I, I'm not sure if he did that also in the early seventies. In the book, in Chronicles, he mentions going to the wall in the, in like the seventies, but right, that might makes more sense. I think he went for his son's bar mitzvah um, right around that time. Um, right, around, yeah, I think the early eighties. And, and so <laughs> he's mentioned his uh, Jacob Dylan mentioned his bar mitzvah in an interview with Rolling Stone, and he he made it pains to mention that it was not a necessarily very cool affair. He said it wasn't stray cats or anything. It was some right. guy with an accordion. <laughs> right, right. Well, um, you know. I, 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 so I, I, um, I have a sense that, that he, he's, he definitely studied and he's still, he's still connected with, with Chabad when he, I hear that, you know, on Yom Kippur, um, you know, the, the holy, the Jewish holy day, um, he usually shows up at, a, at actually a Chabad house at different ones around the country you hear about, you know, someone said, Oh, I was, I was, uh, praying, you know, and I turned around and there was Bob, Dylan, you know, <laughs> getting, getting called up to the Torah. So that, that's still, you know, still, he still has a connection. I know his, um, his son-in-law who I've had a little bit of correspondence to and his daughter are, um, are observant Jews through also right, through uh, Peter Himmelman, right? right? Right. So, um, yeah, I've, um, so yeah, he's definitely has that, that connection and awareness. And the reason I'm bringing that up in, in this context is, is a, you know, obviously it's a, it would be conjecture that the, you know, it's, it would be kind of prevailed if he did, but, but certainly the, the, um, that spirit on the water, darkness on the face of the deep. I mean, the, the kind of traditional, um, I wouldn't necessarily traditional. It's a, a kind of a, a mystical interpretation of um, of that is uh, the idea of you know water being connected to to intellect or mind or, or wisdom, and how water falls from above to below, and water can kind of reach the the very lowest places, and so that's kind of what thought is that a person can direct their actions through their thoughts in a positive way, or sometimes you know if their thoughts aren't uh, so strong or, or somewhat negative in the, in the opposite way. And then the idea of the spirit on the water is, is the idea of the kind of the goodness, the soul that's inherent in all of us that is, is beyond thought, that's deeper than thought, that can and should direct our thoughts so that ultimately we can align our, ourselves with our highest nature and not just in our kind of higher selves, but actually to affect our very mundane everyday actions. So that, that was just, you know, kind of the, the, um, the classic, 
um, Hasidic interpretation of that verse, which I, I feel like um, kind of comes out, you know, in in some ways, I feel like it kind of pops out throughout the song that that um, that idea of, and I mean, in a lot of his songs, and I and I think a song in general, this idea of of manifesting um, very strong thoughts in in one's life, in kind of. Um, you know, I mean, there's a strong will and a strong desire can, you know, can bring about, um, you know, pretty much um, it can create realities in a certain way. I think a lot of a lot of times, you know, we talk about this at one of my uh, songwriting. We have a songwriting group over here that sometimes you write a song in it and and kind of uh, very um, puzzlingly things kind of eerily happen, you know, that, that you kind of wrote about, you know, you feel these resonances. So I, I think in a, a lot of ways, um, the, the, the song is, uh, is a prayer that can kind of manifest these thoughts. But anyway, the, the, you know, the, the, um, you know, the other, the other, the, the line that really sticks out in this song, I think is this, um, you know, I want to be with you in paradise line. Oh, that's right, the, right. So that's the one line that, like, every, you know, I mean, there, there's definitely some tension. There's, you know, you do wrong, you know, <laughs> I don't know why you don't treat me right. And that. But then, um, and then there's this, like, I, I can't be with you, and you know. And I don't know, I was wondering what you thought about that, if, it, if that line stuck out to you also. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the verse in question uh, uh, is, I want to be with you in paradise. And it's near the end of the song. I want to be with you in paradise. And it seems so unfair. I can't go to paradise no more. I killed a man back there. And, you know, this is something that that line does jump out because this song does seem so gentle. And, and Dylan's, um, his phrasing, the way he sings it is very sweet. It's kind of, it's got almost like a whisper, but it's like a sort of a sweet whisper. And so that line really does stick out because you're like, wait a minute, all of a sudden there's this inherent, there's this violence uh, implied here, uh, more than implied. And that, 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 seems to be going on in a lot of his songs recently. There's lots of actions of violence in mm-hmm. in, in, in a lot of the videos that right. he's been making. There's a lot of violent uh, du- Duquesne Whistle. Yeah. Duquesne Whistle <laughs> is a brutal. guy getting beat up over and over again. Yeah. Um, the, the video he did for Beyond, the, Beyond Here Lies Nothing is a, 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 a man and a woman, a couple beating the crap out of each other in their apartment. I mean, so there's a lot of crazy violence underscored in these songs and then and then so to hear it in this song which is so sweet and so warm uh that is really like whoa wait a minute i killed a man back there what's that all about right and, and he foreshadows it with the you know i've been in a brawl i mean so we mm-hmm. he already sets it up that there was a fight you know um and then he has to go away you know and that um so you know so yeah so there are already some kind of um as much as he's yearning for for the woman, there's this uh, a sense that it, tragically it, it might not <laughs> pan out, <Yeah. laughs> and you know. But then, but then the last verse comes, and it's like, no, you know, um, <laughs> we're gonna have a whopping good time. You know, it's gonna be good. You know, um, I don't know. There's, it, it's just he, he, he really, I think, and kind of purposely. I mean, it, it feels like kind of twists the expectations. You know, he twists, he like twists and turns through and you kind of and that's why i think it really belies a unified interpretation um and and why you know for me again the 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 subjective interpretation ultimately is you know is the most um useful and and meaningful um 
So, yeah. yeah. That final verse really uh, pops when you see him in concert. I mentioned a couple episodes back that I saw him in Philadelphia, and he played Spirit on the Water. Uh, in fact, he's played it uh, 523 times in the last 10 years, which, you know, doesn't seem like that many when you say, well, that's 10 years, but in the, in the course of, uh, you know, he has literally thousands of songs to pick from. Uh, picking a relatively new song and doing it over 500 times means he's clearly pretty connected to it and he, he enjoys singing it. And that final verse, you think I'm over the hill, you think I'm past my prime, let me see what you've got, we can have a whopping good time. That just jumps out at people at concerts because it yeah. seems like it's it's Dylan talking about himself, talking to his audience exactly. in that moment. You know, I may be 75 years old, you think I'm over the hill, you think I'm past my prime, let me see what you got, we can have... We have yeah. this communal thing. We're having a whopping good time here. We're having a great time together in this concert, and I'm pointing that out by having singing this last, you know, set of uh, lyrics in this very, very long and patient song. Uh, right. And so, yeah, you're, I agree with you. There is no one theory to this because it just jumps all over the place. Well, well, I've seen I've seen him a few a few times, just three times total. Last time I think was way back in like 2010, I think, mm-hmm. um, and he played Spirit in the Water. At least two of those times. <laughs> wow! And, right. So, so not only so yeah, but there's a reaction to that last verse, and then um, there's a reaction when he steps out from behind the piano. That when I saw him, I'm not sure how how he does this now. If it's the same with his harmonica. Yeah, he did the same he does, thing. Yeah, yep, yep. and people people go crazy. Yeah, you know, I, it's like it's kind of a high point in the show in a way. You know, um, they go crazy as if they're hearing one of their favorite songs, and he just walks out with his harmonica, and he stand, takes center stage, and he plays his harmonica solo, um, which is just a great way to end the song. You know, it's just. Uh, um, you know, kind of a mild. <laughs> I mean, on the recording, and you know, it's uh, it kind of has a Miles Davis kind of quality to it. That this that harmonica playing, hmm. um, which you know, very understated but powerful. You know, it it kind of rides that um, the end of that song. Um, you know, kind of takes it home with this. Uh, it's kind of a triumph. I don't know. I, I love that. <laughs> I love that little harmonica solo at the end. It's it's very gutsy in that I mean again this song is almost eight minutes which is extraordinary and I, I think it's one of those things where there's a theory behind uh, it's in a theory in comedy where mm-hmm. if like you do a joke once and it's funny you do it twice a little less funny you do it three or four times five times is not funny anymore but if you do it nine times then it becomes funny again and it sort of winds its way back and i think almost if spirit on the water was five minutes it would be too long but at eight minutes it's not too long it sort of it sort of crosses that threshold into where he is so uninterested in wrapping this up quickly right. and that you sort of get into the spell and the fact that the song ends with almost a full minute of him playing the harmonica and again you talk about he replicates that in concert there's a kind of like uh, what's the, like almost like a, a gutsiness a daring of like I'm gonna we're gonna be in this space you mentioned it a headspace yes. we're gonna be in this headspace together in this song and I'm gonna take my time we are not this is this is a little what could be be perceived as a little bit of a throwaway crooner ditty. 
I am going to turn into this magisterial epic that's right. good, that's, that runs <laughs> that runs a full three minutes longer than like a Rolling Stone. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, there's something to that I think that makes it work in spite of itself, or not in spite of itself, but it, it works partly because it is so absurdly long. I mean, none right. of the, none of the songs on Fallen Angels, which you mentioned. Are anywhere close to eight minutes. They're right. all two minutes, three minutes. Here's eight an eight minute song. You know, it never occurred to me how long the song was. I, I've always just really, I've, I've just always been swept up in it. You know, <laughs> um, yeah, it's not tiresome to listen to at all. But it's you, you just when I went back and looked at the file and I went, boy, this song is like seven minutes and forty three seconds long. Yeah, you know, you know, it's and I think something about this album and that stands out for me of all all the you know Dylan's albums is is the groove I don't know the first person to mention this but that that the groove of the album is is so strong I mean the whole the whole thing you know it, the sound of it um and this song really kind of t- it's just it's um his voice is, is a little smoother I think than let's say Love and Theft um it, it's so listenable you know I've I've been in places uh like i mentioned woodstock i remember like half the the businesses in woodstock when you know this came out were like playing it on endless loop in the background you know <laughs> because it's just it, you know why not it, it it works that way i mean obviously it all, it, it's better cranked up and, and hearing it full blast but um it it just it carries um, a vibe, and it, and I think it carries it through the whole album. I mean, just bear to mention. I mean, this is not Spirit on the Water, but the, you know, the whole, you know, the opening from the opening chord. I mean, this is something I think a little pretty obvious. The opening chord of the album and the and the closing chord of the album are, are the same major chord. <laughs> Even though the last song is minor and it's this dark song, but he ends on this major chord and a very similar. To the to the opening quarter of the whole album, so it's I really I feel like the whole album is just this mass. I really think it's a masterpiece album, um, and it just ties together so well um, that I never I never got the sense of, of the length of any of the tunes. See, now you mentioned that. Uh, I mean, one of the other things that interested me when you contacted me about having you on was that you're a musician. And we have yet to have a musician on the show. I just don't know that many musicians, at least professional. So I was interested in this because you mentioned the, the major chord. I don't know any of that stuff. I, <laughs> I, I do, literally don't know. And it's one of those things where do you feel as though as a musician you get uh, a deeper appreciation of what he's doing because you know all that stuff? Or is it that it's just – it's got an angle that some of us don't get, and it it doesn't necessarily mean it's more. It's just you're just picking things up in a different way. Because I guess I'm hearing it on a subconscious level, but I'm not hearing it on a like I like I recognize it because I couldn't tell you what a major chord is or a minor chord is. <laughs> I have no idea what any of that stuff means. Well, when you just when you listen next time you listen to the end of Ain't, Ain't Talking, you know, right. it, 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 the song ends, and it's this, and then it's um, and then there's this sense it like kind of stops, and then there's this bright sound like the, the band comes in with this one last chord yes, yes and it's it's kind of a brighter sound right that's that's like it ends on a minor and then it, it he just it flips to a major um which is just a it's like and you know minor is traditionally associated certainly with ain't talking with this dark somber mood um and the the major chord is often associated with this bright mood so so there's a lot so let me say about this in, in response to your, your question musically Man, there's so much depth just to the music alone. I mean, you know, obviously lyrics can be discussed 
um, you know, forever <laughs> with Dylan's lyrics. But the music has uh, pr- probably as much, if not more, um, references and, uh, you know, things to analyze. Some of it you can't really talk about except in musical terms or, or just to play them and to get inside of them. But um, there's a lot of, of, um, of depth in the music. Uh, I was just thinking, uh, I was just listening to, um, and I don't know what song it is, but it, I was listening, and I might be mistaken about this, but I was listening to Roll On John from Tempest, mm-hmm. and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the second half of the, of the verse, Melody, is from a John Lennon song. <laughs> and, and, and if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm you know fine. But even if I'm wrong, I, it, it, the fact that he evoked that in me is like, is that a you know? There, there's so many different kinds of things like that, where there's just like little melodic or chordal um, winks and certainly rhythmic things. Um, you know, so again, this this song is so unique as this kind of um, crooner, you know, but with song with this um, kind of swing groove. And, uh, you know, the, the, I think the thing about, about the, Dylan as a musician is, is his groove. I mean, I think that that's something that carries all through everything. Um, it's something that I, that I, uh, I'm, in, you know, very inspired by. And, and I think is the, is the probably the most, as a, a musician or as a songwriter inspired by him, is probably the most important thing I think to emulate is his sense of groove, his sense of space his sense of, of, like what we were talking about, a vibe, you know. So to, to hear that vibe, um, you know, as a listener and to get, and, and you know, is, is, is a certain, yes, definitely a level of, of uh, appreciation, of enjoyment. And then to, but you know, as a musician, to, to, to sit down and, and I don't think a person has to be a necessarily, I mean, you could be a musician of any level um, to, you know, to just, you know, play a song. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure if a lot of people think to do this as, as fans, but I think it's, you know, I, I personally believe that there's a myth out there that <laughs> that there are the musically talented and the, and the not. I, I think I think everyone is, you know, is has musical ability within them on some level. I mean, just the evidence, the fact that rhythmic, everyone has a rhythmic ability or they'd be dead because you have a, you know, a steady heartbeat, you know. But the... But the fact is that that to engage in the song and to play a song, you know, for me, I learned so much. And, you know, I wouldn't not necessarily would I get up in front of an audience. So I have playing some of of his songs. Um, But but just even to sit alone in a room and to play, you know, it's all over now, baby blue or, you know, or play something. um, You know, I play a lot of things from the basement tapes. Um, it, it, It I get a lot out of that you know, as a musician, as a songwriter, um, even, you know, beyond what I'd get just as a listener. And, and with Spirit on the Water, um, I, I learned to play it on the piano and it's not an easy groove. I mean, his piano, his piano grooves have always impressed me. I mean, you take like, I mean, New Morning was one of my favorite early um, albums that I listened to early on. And that has some incredible piano playing. I mean, a sign on the window, yeah, it's a very um, heavy piano album. Yeah, but but those but those you know it's not easy to play those. I mean, I I'm just you know to just to play that kind of. I mean, just to, just to, to illustrate this, the difference between a guitar and a piano. I mean, this might be obvious, but um, I mean, I play both. Um, but I find that with a guitar, because your hand moves up and down, it's easy to kind of get into a swing with just a, a single chord and a, and a kind of lazy strum. 
you know. But with the piano, since you're only pushing the keys in one direction, using the two hands, you kind of have to simulate a swing. And in a, sen- in, in a deeper sense, the, the swing has to be inside of you more. And, and so even from his earliest piano tunes, I think it was Black Crow Blues is on an early, early album. Um, you know, you, you hear that. Um, I, I've always impressed by those grooves, and that's something that uh, you hear it on Spirit on the Water also. It's, his piano is pretty deep in the mix, but you can, you know, it, it, it definitely informs the groove. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, so I, I just think that that's, there's a lot to, to appreciate about <laughs> Bob Dylan as a musician. Um, and, and, and all, you know, be, besides just as a, as a songwriter, um, yeah, so, and also I've, I've learned a lot from him in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of leading a band, um, in terms of, you know, producing records. I mean, I just, um, you know, I, I got the chance, our, our, um, in my band, the Brooklyn Jazz Warriors, we, we, um, we got a chance, our first record was produced um, and uh, featured Brian Stoltz, who was the guitar player on one of the guitar players on Oh Mercy. Um, so that wow. was a pretty that was a pretty incredible experience. Um, we spent, you know, he he flew up from New Orleans, and we did a show. We since with since then we've done more shows, but um, when we first recorded that album, we we did a show in Brooklyn. Then we went into the studio, we recorded everything live, and he we ended up spending a week here between rehearsals and and uh, the show in the studio. And so I, I just you know got to hang out with him this whole week. I got all these incredible Bob stories, but also, you know, about what was recording with Daniel Lanois and then the whole experience. And, um, you know, one, one sense I got about him as a musician, um, is, uh, you know, as enigmatic as he can be and, you know, to, to pretty much, <laughs> you know, anybody I've, I've talked to who, who's, uh, met him, um, or even spent time with him. Um, but he loves, you know, he, musicians are kind of his people, you know, yeah. <laughs> like the, that's what he spends most of his time with. And, uh, you know, it, uh, I kind of, you know, feel that same way, you know, as much as I, you know, a person who's, who's writing songs can kind of get in, into a kind of a, a, um, a sense of preciousness about their work or whatever. And then, you know, then you hang out with good musicians and it's just like, you know, <laughs> you just get, you know, got to bring the groove, you know, that that's what it's about, you know? <laughs> Yeah, the last uh, interview Dylan did with, uh, I think it was uh, ARP magazine, I believe, the one he did a couple of years ago. Right. Uh, he seemed to really come alive in that, and it's because it was almost exclusively about his life as a musician. I think when he's with Rolling Stone, and Rolling Stone insists on asking him about his theories of the world, and mm-hmm. asks him about the presidential race, I think he bristles at that a little, because I think he's sort of like, why are you asking me about that? What do I know? But you talk to him about being a musician, then he's just expansive and upbeat and 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 i think that's what the guy from arp was doing he was talking to him like he is a working musician which of course bob dylan is this is a guy that does 110 120 130 concerts a year and then in between that he's recording he is a working musician more than anything else and i think that seems to be what he's responding to so we're we're gonna as we as we wind up here i did want to ask you about uh your band which you just mentioned the brooklyn jazz warriors tell people a little bit about that Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, um, my our band um, is. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I write the songs for it, and um, it's pretty much kind of a, a New Orleans um, R&B and funk influenced band with you know obviously a lot of other influences. Um, 
our we have uh, we've recorded two albums. Only one has been released. <laughs> the second one's uh, someday will get released. Your own version of the basement tapes. Yeah, gosh, yeah, man, it's uh, it's it's getting held up, but hopefully it's it's finished. It's just we're hoping um, to roll it out as soon as possible. But um, in the meantime, we have an, uh, the record we did with Brian Stoltz, which we're really proud of. The first song actually is is a tribute to Bob Dylan. It, it's um, it's called "Turn Those Eyes," and uh, it's uh, you know, it's it's kind of a, a, a the groove is kind of a classic New Orleans meters type, you know, Neville Brothers type groove that Brian Stoltz is so. Um, so great at and uh, and the you know the lyrics uh, it's got you know if, if you know it's it's available streaming online right now that that whole album uh, it's called In Service of the King. We'll have a link so. to that in the show notes. Oh great, okay, thanks. So uh, yeah, we have you know um, a couple of local shows coming up. Um, one in Williamsburg um, this Thursday. Um, another one up in Larchmont uh, next Thursday. And, uh, yeah, we just try to play as much as we can and, and uh, keep making new music. And, um, uh, yes, I mean, that, you know, it's, as, as the songwriter of the band, it, it, you know, it's just hanging out with the musicians. I mean, I, the, the guys in the band are, are some of the best musicians in New York. And, um, you know, we, we've gotten, um, you know, besides someone like Brian Stoltz, who comes up to play with us, um, you know, Scott Metzger, who's a guitar player, has been playing with Phil Lesh from The Grateful Dead. Um, has has yeah, he's on that first album and he's he's played a couple of gigs with us and um, have this great drummer playing with us Thursday named Tony Mason um, who's been uh, who's been playing with he's only been playing with Darlene, Darlene Love from a Spill Factor fame recently wow. but but he's uh, yeah he's a great he's just a great groove drummer um, our regular drummer Pete Carp is also incredible um, it's a treat going to be a treat to play with uh, Tony Mason uh, this Thursday. In Williamsburg at a, a place called the W Loft. I don't think the show's going to be out in time. It's it probably not. no, <laughs> but, no. Uh, yeah. yeah, by the time people so. hear this, the the dates will pass. But what's uh, what website can people go to if they want to learn more about it? So um, BrooklynJazzWarriors.com. Um, we'll actually, or actually, you know what? It, probably the the best place to go just to go straight to the music is uh, is Bandcamp. Is our is our page Brooklyn Jazz Warriors page at Bandcamp. And you can stream the whole first album over there. You can download it if you want also. Um, and hopefully we'll have the second album up there not not too long a time. All right. Well, that's wonderful. I, I mean, for, uh, first of all, Israel, Israel uh, thank you so much for contacting me. I really appreciate it. Uh, by you mentioning that you had a bunch of Bob stories that you got from... <laughs> Yeah, your producer, you're guaranteeing that you're going to be asked back to be back okay. on the show. Um, sure. But uh, I really, uh, really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Uh, the, I, I've been wanting to have musicians on just because, like I said, that's not a world that I'm familiar with. I can only speak really to Dylan as to how music makes me feel. I don't, I can't speak to it on any sort of intellectual musical level, and I want to have that more appreciation of that. So uh, I was really happy to have you on to talk about this, and I, I found this this whole conversation really fascinating. So. Uh, I really appreciate you you coming on the show. I thought this was terrific. My ple- pleasure, Rob. Thanks for for inviting me. Uh, you know, this is a great thing you're doing. I I just I could I could talk to Bob Dylan all day, and you know, <laughs> um, and my wife is probably thankful that you know 
this is at least some of what of an outlet. <laughs> it's a place to aim it at, not away from her. I understand. Yeah, I, I completely understand that. So, well, again, thank you, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, for everybody else, if you want to follow the show, of course, it's on our website, firewaterpodcast.com. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter, which is pod underscore Dylan, and you can go and purchase this song, Spirit on the Water, off of Modern Times, and there'll be a link to the iTunes uh, page there on the show notes as well. Pick up the entire album. Modern Times is, uh, as uh, Yisrael said, uh, I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful album full of great songs. So, once again, uh, Yisrael, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it, and uh, thanks everybody for listening, and until next week, uh, we'll see you later. Bye. I won't be with So unfair I can't go to paradise no more I killed a man back there You think I'm over the hill